We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
shall I begin to speak about a God that I will never comprehend? So high and mighty, and yet closer than a friend. The beginning and the
wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Is Jesus my Lord? He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up, and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as mine. me there 
with his hand and covers me
We hope you're enjoying Songs of Praise. Here's some more inspirational music. Yeah. 
Kings and kingdoms 
they'll all pass away But there's something about that
This worthless thing is all I have to bring This tattered soul, this tuneless song I sing I pour them at your feet My offering complete A living sacrifice A fragrance pure and sweet Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music.
hold. Place thou my trembling hand in thine, and sweet communion with me hold. In though the path I may not see, yet Jesus let me walk with. Never did. 
goes away, he taketh, and I will walk with him. Green pastures are before me, which yet I have not seen. Bright skies will soon be o'er me, dark clouds have been. My hope I cannot measure, my path to life is free. My Savior has my treasure, and He
Jesus Christ be listening to Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. 
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, A Great Gulf Fixed. The Parable of the Rich Man and Lazarus The rich man had not abandoned the idea that he was a child of Abraham, and in his distress he is represented as calling upon him for aid. Father Abraham, he prayed, have mercy on me. He did not pray to God, but to Abraham. Thus he showed that he placed Abraham above God, and that he relied on his relationship to Abraham for salvation. The thief on the cross offered his prayer to Christ. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, he said. Luke 23, verse 42. And at once the response came, Verily I say unto thee today, As I hang on the cross in humiliation and suffering, thou shalt be with me in paradise. But the rich man prayed to Abraham, and his petition was not granted. Christ alone is exalted to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 5, verse 31. Neither is there salvation in any other. Acts 4, verse 12. The rich man had spent his life in self-pleasing, and too late he saw that he had made no provision for eternity. 
He realized his folly and thought of his brothers who would go on as he had gone, living to please themselves. Then he made the request, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. When the rich man solicited additional evidence for his brothers, he was plainly told that should this evidence be given, they would not be persuaded. His request cast a reflection on God. It was as if the rich man had said, If you had more thoroughly warned me, I should not be here now. Abraham, in his answer to this request, is represented as saying, Your brothers have been sufficiently warned. Light has been given them, but they would not see. Truth has been presented to them, but they would not hear. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. These words were proved true in the history of the Jewish nation. Christ's last and crowning miracle was the raising of Lazarus at Bethany, after he had been dead four days. The Jews were given this wonderful evidence of the Saviour's divinity, but they rejected it. Lazarus rose from the dead and bore his testimony before them, but they hardened their hearts against all evidence and even sought to take his life. John 12, verses 9 to 11. The law and the prophets are God's appointed agencies for the salvation of men. Christ said, Let them give heed to these evidences. If they do not listen to the voice of God in his word, the testimony of a witness raised from the dead would not be heeded. Those who heed Moses and the prophets will require no greater light than God has given. But if men reject the light and fail to appreciate the opportunities granted them, they would not hear if one from the dead should come to them with a message. They would not be convinced even by this evidence, for those who reject the law and the prophets so harden their hearts that they will reject all light. The conversation between Abraham and the once rich man is figurative. The lesson to be gathered from it is that every man is given sufficient light for the discharge of the duties required of him. Man's responsibilities are proportionate to his opportunities and privileges. God gives to everyone sufficient light and grace to do the work he has given him to do. If man fails to do that which a little light shows to be his duty, greater light would only reveal unfaithfulness, neglect to improve the blessings given. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Luke 16 verse 10 Those who refuse to be enlightened by Moses and the prophets and ask for some wonderful miracle to be performed would not be convinced if their wish were granted. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus shows how the two classes represented by these men are estimated in the unseen world. There is no sin in being rich if riches are not acquired by injustice. 
A rich man is not condemned for having riches, but condemnation rests upon him if the means entrusted to him is spent in selfishness. Far better might he lay up his money beside the throne of God by using it to do good. Death cannot make any man poor who thus devotes himself to seeking eternal riches. But the man who hoards his treasure for self cannot take any of it to heaven. He has proved himself to be an unfaithful steward. During his lifetime he had his good things, but he was forgetful of his obligation to God. He failed of securing the heavenly treasure. The rich man who had so many privileges is represented to us as one who should have cultivated his gifts so that his works should reach to the great beyond, carrying with them improved spiritual advantages. It is the purpose of redemption not only to blot out sin, but to give back to man those spiritual gifts lost because of sin's dwarfing power. Money cannot be carried into the next life. It is not needed there but the good deeds done in winning souls to Christ are carried to the heavenly courts. But those who selfishly spend the Lord's gifts on themselves, leaving their needy fellow creatures without aid and doing nothing to advance God's work in the world, dishonor their Maker. Robbery of God is written opposite their names in the books of heaven. The rich man had all that money could procure, but he did not possess the riches that would have kept his account right with God. He had lived as if all that he possessed were his own. He had neglected the call of God and the claims of the suffering poor. But at length there comes a call which he cannot neglect. By a power which he cannot question or resist, he is commanded to quit the premises of which he is no longer steward. The once rich man is reduced to hopeless poverty. The robe of Christ's righteousness, woven in the loom of heaven, can never cover him. He who once wore the richest purple, the finest linen, is reduced to nakedness. His probation is ended. He brought nothing into the world, and he can take nothing out of it. Christ lifted the curtain and presented this picture before priests and rulers, scribes and Pharisees. Look at it you who are rich in this world's goods and are not rich toward God. Will you not contemplate this scene? That which is highly esteemed among men is abhorrent in the sight of God. Christ asks, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8 verses 36 and 37. Application to the Jewish Nation When Christ gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, there were many in the Jewish nation in the pitiable condition of the rich man, using the Lord's goods for selfish gratification, preparing themselves to hear the sentence, Thou art weighed in the balances, and art found wanting. Daniel 5 verse 27 The rich man was favoured with every temporal and spiritual blessing, but he refused to cooperate with God in the use of these blessings. Thus it was with the Jewish nation. The Lord had made the Jews the depositaries of sacred truth. He had appointed them stewards of His grace. He had given them every spiritual and temporal advantage, and He called upon them to impart these blessings. 
Special instruction had been given them in regard to their treatment of their brethren who had fallen into decay, of the stranger within their gates, and of the poor among them. They were not to seek to gain everything for their own advantage, but were to remember those in need and share with them. And God promised to bless them in accordance with their deeds of love and mercy. But like the rich man, they put forth no helping hand to relieve the temporal or spiritual necessities of suffering humanity. Filled with pride, they regarded themselves as the chosen and favoured people of God, yet they did not serve or worship God. They put their dependence in the fact that they were children of Abraham. We be Abraham's seed, they said proudly. John 8 verse 33. When the crisis came, it was revealed that they had divorced themselves from God and had placed their trust in Abraham as if he were God. Christ longed to let light shine into the darkened minds of the Jewish people. He said to them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. John 8 verses 39 and 40. Christ recognized no virtue in lineage. He taught that spiritual connection supersedes all natural connection. The Jews claimed to have descended from Abraham, but by failing to do the works of Abraham, they proved that they were not his true children. Only those who proved themselves to be spiritually in harmony with Abraham by obeying the voice of God are reckoned as of true descent. Although the beggar belonged to the class looked upon by men as inferior, Christ recognized him as one whom Abraham would take into the very closest fellowship. The rich man, though surrounded with all the luxuries of life, was so ignorant that he put Abraham where God should have been. If he had appreciated his exalted privileges and had allowed God's spirit to mold his mind and heart, he would have had an altogether different position. So with the nation he represented. If they had responded to the divine call, their future would have been wholly different. They would have shown true spiritual discernment. They had means which God would have increased, making it sufficient to bless and enlighten the whole world. But they had so far separated from the Lord's arrangement that their whole life was perverted. They failed to use their gifts as God's stewards in accordance with truth and righteousness. Eternity was not brought into their reckoning, and the result of their unfaithfulness was ruin to the whole nation. Christ knew that at the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jews would remember his warning, and it was so. When calamity came upon Jerusalem, when starvation and suffering of every kind came upon the people, they remembered these words of Christ and understood the parable. They had brought their suffering upon themselves by their neglect to let their God-given light shine forth to the world. In the last days, the closing scenes of this earth's history are portrayed in the closing of the rich man's history. The rich man claimed to be a son of Abraham, but he was separated from Abraham by an impassable gulf, a character wrongly developed. Abraham served God, following his word in faith and obedience. But the rich man was unmindful of God and of the needs of suffering humanity. 
The great gulf fixed between him and Abraham was the gulf of disobedience. There are many today who are following the same course. Though church members, they are unconverted. They may take part in the church service. They may chant the psalm, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Psalm 42 verse 1. But they testify to a falsehood. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lynchjourney.com. The Reformation of the 16th century was not limited to the powerhouses of Switzerland, Germany, France, England and Scotland, but also in the Nordic countries of Scandinavia, something special would take place. Whilst the fires of martyrs were burning all across England during the reign of bloody Queen Mary, and the Protestants in France were persecuted on numerous occasions. In Sweden and Denmark, the Reformation would unfold much more peacefully, and one could argue they had a greater proportional impact in each respective country. The story of the Scandinavian Reformation is inextricably linked to Martin Luther and the Protestant bastion of Wittenberg. In the country of Denmark, one of the principal figures in the Reformation was a man named Hans Tausen. Like many others, he had grown up in a Catholic family and spent some of his early years in a cloister. He completed much of his education in Denmark, where he was noted for his understanding of Latin and Hebrew, but he would also go on to study in Cologne. Whilst there, he came across some of Luther's writings, and in 1523, he went to Germany, where he met Martin Luther and became acquainted with the new ideas that were being espoused. He would spend 18 months studying there with Luther, after which he would return to Denmark, where initially he kept it a secret that he had been in Wittenberg. However, the good news of the gospel could not be hidden forever, and it was only a matter of time before his teachings were noted to be different from that of others. He was soon expelled from the cloister, but this was perhaps the biggest mistake that his opponents could make. Now they had no control over him, and he was able to travel and preach throughout the whole country, causing a great revival. He also translated the Pentateuch into Danish, and this was circulated widely. Towson lived faithfully here in Denmark for the rest of his life, and his influence was key in this whole country accepting the Reformed faith. This church here in Copenhagen was built and named after him in memory of the great influence he had on the spiritual history of this nation. 
Around the same time as Towson was causing a revival in Denmark, the Petri brothers were having a similar impact here in Sweden. The work in these two countries shows that the disciples were just as powerful and scholarly as the giants under which they studied. Olaf and Laurentius Petri, the sons of a blacksmith in Orebo, both studied at the University of Wittenberg, where they were influenced by Luther and Melanchthon. Olaf completed his masters in 1519, and they both returned back to their homeland of Sweden. They helped to translate the Bible into Swedish, and through their hard work at the Diet of Vasteras, Sweden was declared Lutheran, the first country to do so. Olaf Petri was buried here in this church, which later became the National Cathedral, supplanting the Uppsala Cathedral, a testament to the great work that he and his brother did. While it might have been easier for the Petri brothers or Towson to live, study and work in a place like Wittenberg or Geneva, God had a better thing in store for them. Their destiny was to return to their homeland and preach the gospel there. They knew the language, the culture, and the customs, and they were able to do a work there that others from elsewhere would not have been able to do. Whatever work you do, may you start with that which lies nearest. Whether it be your home church, which might be small, humble, and not so lively, or maybe it's your home country. Not everyone is called to go to a faraway and distant land, but we can all start working for God right where we are. May you follow God's call as these men did in years gone by. To view more episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.